So, 1 Peter chapter number 2. Anybody glad to be in the house of the Lord? Yeah. Anybody glad that, that you can honestly tell somebody, I am a Christian, a child of God, child of the King, born again, a new creature in Christ, sins washed away. Anybody excited about your eternity? And anybody excited about what God is doing in your life and the things that God has brought you from and the places that he's taken you to? Are you excited that God is allowing you to maybe even to go through some storms, that you can learn new things about him, that you can learn how to walk closer to him, how you can learn to lean on him. And when you can't stand on your own, realize that you don't have to, he'll hold you up. Anybody just glad to be in, in one with God Almighty, to be just washed in the blood? Anybody thankful to be able to lay your head down at night and sleep in peace knowing that if I don't wake up here in the morning praise God for where I'm going to wake up I don't have to go to bed worried about what if Jesus comes I go to bed excited about what if Jesus comes I don't have to go to bed worried about what if something happens in the sleep and I don't wake up in this world I get to go to bed excited and I can sleep in peace because my eternity is sealed anybody know what I'm talking about well, well, we've got some instructions in the Word of God about how we are to live this life. And just knowing how thankful we are, knowing how grateful we are for the mercy that has been extended to us, knowing how grateful we are for the grace that has been abundantly poured out, how thankful we are that the windows of heaven truly have been opened and that there have been gifts poured out, that there's not room enough to receive it. We don't deserve them. They're the free gifts of God. And knowing how thankful we are this morning, I want to take a look at our life. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 11. Peter says, dearly beloved. Then he refers to us and he says, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from lustly flesh, which war against the soul. Now, just briefly before we read verse 12... <coughs> That word stranger, that refers to somebody that's not from here. It means you're here right now, but you're not from here. You're, you're from a, another place. But that word pilgrim, that is a stranger. That is somebody that is passing through on their way home. Like, I didn't come here to stay. I didn't move my residence. I'm here for a temporary time on my way home. And that's what Peter says. We're on our way home. Verse number 12, he says, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that, and you, we, we all going to understand this one, whereas they speak against you as evildoers. Anybody know when you got saved, your old friends started talking about you? They started writing you off. You know, honestly, if, when you get saved, we tell people all the time, listen, you're a new creature. You got to move away from the old crowd. Gravity works. Gravity will pull you back. If you mess around with that old sin, mess around with that old stuff, that old life will pull you back in. You got to leave that stuff alone. All you got to do is mention the name Jesus. Tell him I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb of God. I'm a new creature in Christ. And you won't have to leave them alone. They'll leave you alone. If every time your phone rings and you say, what's up, man? And they start talking the trash. If you will answer one of your old friends' calls and say, have I told you about Jesus? Click. They, they won't want to hear anything. So he says that they talk. But, but he says here that as evil as that they may by your good works, 
which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Simply put, that they may see Christ in you, that they may glorify him. I want to look for just a few minutes this morning that we can at a message that is simply entitled, What Do They See? Father, thank you so much for your love and mercy and compassion. For your understanding, for your patience. God, for your blessings abundantly. God, thank you so much for these, your people, God, that we can come to you washed in the blood. We come to you in one accord and we all together say thank you. Thank you, God, for being so good. Thank you for this book. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your light in our life, God. May it shine so that a dark world may see. Lord, may everything we do here this morning be pleasing to you, Father. May you be glorified and honored. And may you help us to walk out a cleaner, brighter, better vessel, more suited to serve you. We love you, Father. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious, sweet name. God's people said... Amen. You know, God never intended for his children to be permanent residents here in this world. Peter calls us strangers and pilgrims. Therefore, our lives should be different from those who are of this world. You know, it's easy to recognize somebody that's not from around here. When I was a professional archer, and we, we traveled literally the country every weekend. And it didn't matter if I went anywhere a little bit north, it really didn't matter where I went. Especially if I went north of the Mason-Dixon. People never asked me, where was I from? They just said, as soon as I opened my mouth, what part of Alabama or Georgia are you from? It's like, I don't even get a chance to explain, no. And so it'd be like, well, my family is from lower Alabama, and, and I'm from a little south of Atlanta, Georgia. So you got them both right, uh, Everybody else from Alabama, but you know, it, it, it's a little bit, if you go far enough away from home, it is our appearance that can change. You, you begin to know that you're not from an area by appearance, but it really, you ain't got to go very far for people to understand by your language that you ain't from around here. Now, here, here was, here's what's important. You, you go to Michigan or there in lower New York and, and we compete there and you spend a few days the question is not where am I from. The question is when I leave and go back, what did they see? What do they think? Hey, man, if everybody, it's going to be one of two things. If everybody from Georgia is like that guy, I wouldn't mind living in a place like that. Or if everybody from Georgia is like that guy, I don't know why it don't fall off the map. I don't know why everything down there don't just drop off. I mean, we're going to leave an impression. We were visitors from somewhere else that came in and we left an impression. The same thing is true in our Christian life. If we are not of this world, we're just strangers and pilgrims passing through. We're new creatures in Christ. What kind of impact are we making on the lives of those around us? I read a book really over the past couple of weeks, but it... He talked about a missionary, and he'd gone to this, basically an island. It was a, a place inhabited by the natives there. And the chief had allowed him to come in and, and minister. He had allowed him an opportunity to tell about his God. You know, a lot of these tribal 
lands, a lot of places that haven't heard the gospel, a lot of them can sometimes be open to hearing a gospel because they have a God for everything. They have one for the sunrise, one for the fire, one for the rain, one for the toothache, one for the toenail. I mean, they, they got trinkets and gods for everything and idols. So sometimes they're pretty receptive to hearing what somebody has to say. So this missionary comes in for a few days and he's telling them about his God and he's telling them about salvation. He's telling them about Christ. But, but after being there a few days, the, the, the chief there simply asked him this question. This Jesus, is he like you? That's, I'm, I'm a little disappointed because it didn't give me anything else in the story. It, it didn't tell me what came after that, which really leaves it open to only one or two things. That chief either asked him, this Jesus, is he like you? Because if he is, based on your love and your compassion and your kindness, the way you carry yourself, the way you've come in and treated people, and the way I see you act based on what I've seen out of you. If this Jesus is like you, I want our people to hear more about this Jesus. The other side of that coin is the chief asked the question, because if this Jesus is like you, the way I've seen you act with your smug attitude like you're better than others and your prideful walk and the way you seem and the arrogance you have about you. If you're Jesus you're talking about is like you, then you're free to leave now because we don't want to hear anything else about him. See, one of those two, if the world is going to be convinced of the reality of our faith, they must see something different in our lives from what they see in the world. Peter told us, we're not residents here. And we shouldn't act like residents. We're not only pilgrims and strangers. We looked at it Wednesday night. We are ambassadors. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. An ambassador is not just a visitor passing through a land. An ambassador is a royal visitor Passing through a land with a royal message from the king himself. That's who we are. We are we're not just visitors here on this planet. We are royal now. We are royalty. We have been washed in the blood. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You are a child of the king. You are royalty. And royalty passes through with a royal message to tell others about the kingdom where we're from. Our job is to tell others about our homeland, about where we're going to spend eternity. We, we are new creatures in Christ. How many of you know we were of this world? You remember the days of your former lust? You remember what you were before Jesus came along and changed things? We, we were, but we're no longer of this world. So what do people see when they look at our lives? If the world is going to be convinced that, that what we say is true and that what we say is real and that what we're talking about will radically change your life, then they need to see something radically different in our life. If we got the same old humdrum, woe is me, Carrying the same old burdens and the same old battles and the same old defeated life. Using the same old pathetic language. Listening to the same old pathetic jokes. 
participating in the same old pathetic garbage, if they don't see anything radically different in our life, how do we expect them to believe that our God can radically change theirs? Lord, help us. I don't know whose quote this is. It, it didn't give a name. But here's what it said. This is another one in, in your bulletin. If you guys keep it. We may not be able to be living apostles. Let me clarify real quick before you give the rest of it. We can't be apostles. An apostle is someone who has seen the face of Jesus Christ. It, the apostles are the ones that walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, that, that he taught them. So, so the apostles have seen the face of Jesus. The apostle Paul did because he saw Jesus reincarnated on the road to Damascus. We're not apostles. Those guys that call themselves are errantly mistaken about what they can be. He says, but we can be living epistles. Very correct. The epistles are simply letters. The word means letters and is referring to the New Testament, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what he says, we may not can be apostles, but we can be a living example of the New Testament. We can be a living example of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can be a living example of the scriptures themselves. If we want to be like Jesus, all we have to do to finish up from last week, follow the instructions. Yeah, we talked about that last week. That's easier said than done in every scenario. We don't like following instructions, amen? At least all the men should have said amen. <laughs> Titus chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 says, In all things, showing myself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. Here's what Titus basically says. We are, we, we, we're not to be instructors. We're to be examples. We're not to tell people how you ought to live. We're supposed to show people how to live. See, a pattern is something that is used to replicate something. If you have a good pattern, then you can remake that thing over and over and over, whatever the pattern is. So Titus says, we're not supposed to tell people how the Bible says to live. We're supposed to show people and to be a pattern that others can follow. He says, a pattern of good work. He says we're not supposed to beat them over the head with our doctrine and try to get to hear our doctrine. We're supposed to be a living example of our doctrine so that they can see our doctrine. Doctrine is something that, that should change us. We have there in verse number seven that word gravity. It simply means honesty. And he uses the word sincerity there. It simply means be genuine. Sound speech. That, that's more than just watch your language. Listen, it, it, it ought to be a given that our language is clean. Sorry. Sorry. It, it, it ought to be a, a given that foul language don't come out of our mouth. That, that, that's just, we, we shouldn't be telling dirty jokes. Dirty stories. We shouldn't be participating in them. We ought to walk out of a room when they happen. I mean, that, 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 that's pretty simple about, about sound language, but, but it's supposed to be our whole life. Everything about us is to be genuine. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said in verse number 9, he said, let no corrupt communication, none. Not one story, not one slip, not one word, 
not knowing nobody's around but the people that know me, but let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. That word edifying means confirmation. So what he's saying is, let our speech confirm Christ in me to those who hear me. Let my life confirm Christ in me to those who see me. See, if, if we want others to go to heaven, it's up to us to show them the way. What's the way? His name's Jesus. Amen. The way, the truth, and the life. None of the name under heaven. The way is Jesus. We, we should be able to tell them, like the apostle Paul did, just follow me. See, here's the truth. We know where we're going. The disciples asked Jesus, they act like they didn't know. I think it's John 14, 4, when Jesus talked about, I'm going to prepare a place for him to go. But he said, the way you know. He said, where I go, you know. And he said, the way you know. You know how I know the way to heaven? Because somebody told me about it. You know how I know the way to heaven now? Because I've read about it. I know the way to heaven because God told me through the, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit how to get there. There's a world out there that don't know how. And he said, what we're supposed to do is show them the way. You know, there, there was a police officer. He pulled over a car for speeding and he, he walked up to the window and there was an elderly lady sitting in the driver's seat. She let her window down. He says, ma'am, do you mind telling me why you were driving so fast? The elderly gentleman in the passenger seat laughed. He looked down and he said, young man. We were going so fast to get to where we're going before we forget where we're going. <laughs> Those of you in my generation up can understand that. It gets worse than just going into the kitchen and can't remember why you were there. It's getting in the car halfway to town and go, where was I going? And if you're like me, I make a list and, and I have four places on it and everything to get at every place. And I get home, I've been to two of them and didn't get half of what was there. And I look at the list and all oh, you say is you idiot. It's not, it's not like you didn't know, but, but it's, not, it's, not just, it's just not just getting there. It's the journey that's important. It's not just getting to where we're going. We're to be examples. The, 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 the journey is what is important. If we want others to follow us, where will they end up if they follow us to where we're going? I may be like them. If I don't drive fast enough or you don't drive fast enough to keep up, we may end up the wrong place because I forgot. But I'm not going to forget about my eternal home. I'm not going to forget about my, my eternal destination. I, I, I'm sure that all of us have made mistakes. If you haven't, God bless you. The rest of us need to learn some things. But I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure all of us have made some mistakes along the way. I'm pretty sure... That we've done some things we wish we could go back and change. But we can't. But here's what I can do. I can learn from the mistake I made and not make it again. I, I can learn from, from what avenues did I take that eventually led me to there. What, what little things happened. What detours. Where were the stop signs. What are the things. Everybody can learn from mistakes so that we know not to pass that way again. We, we learn how to, to recognize and not get there. Lyndon B. Johnson said, yesterday is not ours to recover. Praise God for the forgiveness of Jesus, for the forgiveness of the blood. It doesn't matter. It's not ours to recover. But tomorrow is ours 
to win or lose. See, the mistakes we made are just things that we can't repeat. We make adjustments so that we do better today and tomorrow. The lessons that, that we've learned from our past mistakes and, and successes, we don't just learn from failures. You learn from successes. So everything that, that we've learned, we, we're to, to use so that we can replicate those things to, to make a better pattern. I mean, the question for us is simple. Is my life worth following? If we want somebody out there in the world to just hear what we have to say and we want to tell them about Jesus, is my life worth following? If somebody looks at my life, do they really believe that I know where I'm going enough to follow me there? A man wrote to, walked a, a tightrope across the Niagara Falls several years ago, and he was pushing a wheelbarrow. And he turns around, and the crowd's all cheering. And then he pushes it all the way back across Niagara Falls, pushing the wheelbarrow. The crowd's all cheering. Everybody's ecstatic. They put a 200-pound bag of sand in the wheelbarrow. He turns around, and he crosses the tightrope over Niagara Falls, pushing a wheelbarrow with a 200-pound sack of sand in it. He gets to the other side. Everybody's cheering, waving. He pushes it back across the other side. And, and, and he gets back up, and man, everybody's cheering and waving and ecstatic. And, and then he asked the crowd this question. How many of you believe that I can take the 200-pound sack of sand out and put a human in and push a human across Niagara Falls and back in this wheelbarrow? Well, the crowd, I mean, they've done seen him do it twice. I mean, they're all ecstatic. They're all cheering. They're all waving. This one guy on the front row, he's particularly, I mean, you know, you got to have your stunt man or your aide, your assistant, right? I mean, nobody does stuff without their assistant. Man, this dude on the front, he's really adamantly cheering him on. And he's so excited about believing it. And he's telling the crowd to get up until the guy pushing the wheelbarrow says, Sir, I need for you to come get in the wheelbarrow. So the story says you couldn't see that man for the dust. See, he says he believes something. He says he believes something. He'd seen evidence. And in his evidence, he said that he believed he could do it. See, if we truly believe something, our lives should be evidence of what we believe. If he truly believed what he said he believed, he cheerfully gets in that world. I ain't going to say cheerfully. I'd be a nervous wreck. I wouldn't raise my hand just because I'd have been scared if he might pick me. I'd been the one hiding behind somebody. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But if he truly believed what he said he believed, he has no problem getting in the wheelbarrow. See, a lot of times in our life, we say we, be we believe God can get us through the storm. But then we complain all the way through the storm. And the world saw that we didn't really believe what we told them we believed. We said that we believed that God can deliver. We talked to somebody else that went through marital problems and family problems or alcohol problems or children problems or work problems or financial problems. And we told them about how our God is big enough. Our God can handle your situation. Our God can provide. Our God can heal. Our God can this. But then when it came our turn, we didn't look any different than them. That's quiet up in here. See, if we really believe that God can cross the tightrope with somebody in a wheelbarrow, we need to be willing to cheerfully get in the wheelbarrow. We, we need for our life to show that we're different. If we tell others about 
Christ and about heaven and about salvation, do they see enough in our life? Not, not do they hear enough, but do they see enough to follow us to where we're going? John C. Maxwell, he said, people may hear your words, but they feel your attitude. See, we, we don't have a long time to get this right. Anybody believe Jesus is coming? Anybody know? I don't know when, but I believe he's coming. Does anybody in here know that today just could be the day? Only three of us. Anybody know? We're up to a dozen of us. I thought more of you knew that. I thought most of us knew that today could be the day. See, reality, we, we don't know, but we're supposed to live our life like, like Jesus is coming today. We have a responsibility to live our lives as though today is the last day before he returns. Chapter number four, Peter, first Peter, he said in verse number one, for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. That's us. And we, we no longer live to the flesh that we once lived, but to the will of God. Verse number three, time past our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries. That was us when we walked in it. Wherefore, now that we've changed, they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. They tear you down because you no longer run with that crowd. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? Verse number six of first Peter chapter four, for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But in the end, but, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Peter says the end of all things is at hand. Live that way. Know that the end is near. Live responsibly. Live accordingly. How many of you in here can, can honestly say that you know we have lots of time left? Is there anybody in here that you can guarantee me that Gabriel ain't going to sound a trumpet tomorrow morning? Is there anybody in here that you can guarantee me that Jesus Christ isn't going to call home the bride today? So the reality is we don't know how much time we got left. All we know is what we're supposed to do at the time that we do have left. Peter says that we are to live our lives like we expect him to come tomorrow morning. And I truly believe there's not a person in the sound of my voice or outside the sound of my voice. That if you did not know that Jesus Christ was coming tomorrow morning, we would change some things today. Every one of us. I don't believe there's anybody so perfect and so holy and so pure. And if you are in your own mind, glory to God, the altar's right down here. I don't believe there's one of us that doesn't know if Jesus was coming back tomorrow morning, we'd be trying to get some things under the blood today. We'd be making some phone calls today. We'd be sending some texts today. We'd be trying to get some, some relationships right today. 
We'd be trying to mend some broken bridges today. Because Jesus said, if you come and offer your things to me, and you got all with your brother, leave your gifts here and go settle with him. Because I don't want to hear from you until you get that right. So I truly believe there's some family relationships that have to be re rebuilt today. If we truly believed that Jesus Christ was coming tomorrow morning, we would change some things. Peter says, that's how you're supposed to live your life. You're supposed to live every single day like you expect today to be the last single day. We're to be a people of prayer and we're to be a people of scripture living every single day. Verse number eight, still first Peter chapter four. He says, above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Same as the word that apostle Paul used for charity. It simply means love. So what Peter says is where love abounds, we won't be so quick to criticize people. What, what Peter says is where love abounds, we won't be so quick to gossip. Or, or where, where love abounds, we won't spend so much time tearing somebody down with the unbridled tongue. Where, where, where love abounds, we won't spend our time always trying to look for the bad in somebody. We'll look into even the bad and always try to look for the good. Where, where love abounds, we won't be so quick to, to judge everybody else, realizing the depth of our own mistakes. Because where, where love abounds is a place where the Holy Spirit is in control. Now, that's what the question is for us. That's another one that's on your bulletin. Is the Holy Spirit truly in complete control of my life? Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, where the fruit of the Spirit, he said that the fruit of the Spirit is love. And he, he went on to associate other fruits of the Spirit. All these are fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, uh, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. But verse 24, he says, they that of Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. He says, we've crucified the flesh. It's dead, it's gone, it no longer lives in us. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So if we are filled with the Spirit, and if we are led by the Spirit, if we live in the Spirit, then love will have rule and reign in my life. See, if we have a problem loving people, then we have a problem being filled. Hello, I know we're an independent Baptist church. Glory to God. How could you say something like that on a Sunday morning? If we have a problem loving people, then we have a problem surrendering to the Holy Spirit to lead and guide our lives. Because God loves people. Hates sin, loves people. We can all say, thank you, God, right there. Because he loved us so much that Jesus climbed up on that cross because he loved me greater than he hated my sin. Lord, Jesus puts it like this. John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except you abide in me. He said, I am the vine and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. That is the very simple explanation of what my character should be like. 
Because if I am connected to the vine, I'm going to produce whatever the vine puts forth. If my branch, my life is truly connected to the vine, I'm going to produce fruit according to the vine that I'm connected to. If I'm a branch and I'm connected to a muscadine vine, what am I going to produce? So if I'm connected to scuppernum, what am I going to produce? Some really good stuff. Purple grapes, what am I going to produce? Now, if I tell people I'm a Christian, if I tell people I'm a, I'm a muscadine vine, I tell people that, that I belong to, to this group, these Christians, I am a muscadine vine, and that's what I tell people, but I am connected to a poison ivy vine, what's my fruit going to be? Poison ivy. I can tell them I'm a Christian. I, I can tell them that I, I, I'm a grapevine. I'm a purple grapes. But if they look at my fruit and I'm connected to a poison sumac vine, what is my fruit going to be? So what Jesus says is your fruit is the absolute evidence of what you believe. Your fruit, what you produce in your life, what I produce in my life, that's what the world sees. And whatever I am producing, that is the vine that I'm connected to. I may connect to one with my lips, but my body and my life shows where I'm really connected. I don't know. Jesus makes it pretty simple for me. See, we don't, we don't have to judge others. And others don't have to judge us. All they got to do is judge the fruit. All, all they have to do is look and see. In the closing portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Beware false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Question mark there. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Can not. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. There's your judgment. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Do you know what the world can do? I mean, the world can do this easy. The world can identify an apple tree by the apples hanging on the branches. Y'all with me? The world. The world can identify a peach tree when it's got peaches in its season. The world can identify a pear tree when it's got pear trees. They, they don't need a doctorate degree in horticulture. They, they, don't, they don't need a, a four-year degree in botany. They understand that there are apples hanging on this tree. This is an apple tree. They can identify it by its fruit. But I got one more. So I got one more of the ups and downs, and I'm, I'm done. Band, you guys can come on. Y'all come on, get ready. What about in the wintertime when there's no apples present? What about when there's no peaches on the limbs and there's no grapes on the vine? See, that's where it becomes important as to which vine we're connected to. Because the vine has no winter season. The Son of God is always 
the Son of God. The Lamb of God is always the Lamb of God. The fruit of the Spirit is not a seasonal fruit. It is always evidence. So for those who have fruits in a season, sorry, it's not real. For those who pop in and out, pop up and down, jump into something, disappear, live holy for a month and back to the world, go to church on Sunday and go to the bar on Friday, I'm sorry. If the fruit is not consistent, the evidence is not consistent. The vine is the true vine. It never alters. It never changes. It never has winter. It never fades. It never drops its leaves. It never drops its life. It never stops producing fruit. And for the one that says I'm connected to the vine and has winter season longer than a summer season, it's not real. Because if the vine is truly what guides us, then the vine is what always leads us. Peter says, chapter 1, verse 14 of 1 Peter, he says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, this is the Holy Spirit, this is God's instructions for you and I, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, if that wasn't possible, would God command us to do it? What do you get so quiet? Y'all forget, don't pay them no attention. They're just getting ready to sing. I'm not through yet. I just got them up there to kind of give y'all hopes. <laughs> would God tell me to be holy if I couldn't be? Would he tell me to live a fruitful life if I couldn't live a fruitful life? Would he tell me that I'm to live a fruitful life all year long and to not have winter seasons if I could not do those things? He says, be ye holy, for I am holy. That, that, that word conversation there in verse 15, it, it means behavior. That means it's not just our talk, it's our attitude. It's our walk, it's our actions, it's our emotion, it's our life. Everything about us is, is to be holy. Does that mean we're going to be perfect? Absolutely not. Does it mean that we'll never make another mistake? No, it doesn't. What it does mean is that the mistakes will, will be an exception and not the rule. When I make a mistake in my life, it's something I can overcome and get back. But the mistakes in my life and the things that I do wrong are the exception to the norm. And they're not my everyday life. Be ye holy as I am holy. New creatures in Christ. If we're living according to this, this epistle, if we truly are living epistles, and we're living the New Testament, we are going to look different, act different, walk different, talk different, be different, because we are not from here. Fifteen of us are going to Costa Rica. I don't care how good your Spanish is. You're not going to sell them out that you're from Costa Rica. You can give it your best shot. You can do like David Hickok did, thinking he knew Spanish, and try about four times, and finally they tell him no, Eng no, no, no English. And he's doing his best to talk to him in Spanish. Crack me up. It doesn't matter how hard we try, because of my appearance, I am never going to convince them that I am from Costa Rica, 
And they are never going to come over here and convince us that they are from LaGrange, Georgia. Because our life, our parents, gives it away. If we truly are children of God, we don't have to tell anybody that. We don't have to go around and try to convince somebody that I'm a Christian. My life will explain who I am, where I'm from, where I'm going, what I believe, and who I serve. We, we don't have to try to be something that we're not because we're going to be different than the world. So back to the title of the message. When the world looks at us. What do they see? Do they see a child of God? Or do they see a pretender? Do they see somebody walking a Christian life? Or beating somebody over the head with a Christian life while walking in the things of the world? Are we a reflection of the word of God? Are we a reflection of Christ? Or are we just a blurry image of the world? I don't know. If we, if we meet somebody new... And we witness to them for a couple of weeks. And, and, and we're, we're talking to them. And, and for a couple of weeks, they see how we act and how we treat others. And then they ask us that same question. This Jesus. Is he like you? Why are they asking us that question? Are they asking us because what they've seen in us has changed their life so that they want to be like that? Or are they asking it because of what I've seen out of you, the way, the way you treat people? The way you treat your own family, the way you treat other people, the way you talk. If, if it's anything like that, I don't, I don't care anything about what you're talking about. What do people see when they look at us? Billy Graham says, The greatest legacy that one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or other material things accumulated in one's life. But rather, a legacy of character and faith. It doesn't matter if it is our children who we know are always watching. You know that, don't you? It doesn't matter if it's our children who are always watching or if it is someone in the distance at work, someone in the distance. You have no idea they're watching your life. You have no idea. Anybody ever had somebody come up to you? Out of the blues, you didn't even know they really even knew your name and asked you, would you pray for them because something, something, something happened. You know what that means? They've been watching you. And they've seen an evidence in your life that shows that you have a connection to the Father enough that they want to know, will you pray for them? So it doesn't matter if it's our children who are always watching and we know they're watching or if a stranger that we had no idea they were watching. What do they see? Especially when it comes to the family, because they see us at our worst. Somebody say amen. I don't know why we think it's okay to just be us when we're at home if us ain't no good. And expect those that we're supposed to love the most to just put up with all our faults and frailties. But when the world looks, what do they see? If they don't see what I want them to see, then it's up to me to change what they see. Did that, did that make sense? I'm not even sure I understood that. If they don't see what I want them to see, then it's up to me to change what
what they see. How do I do that? It's called surrender. It doesn't do any good to read it if I'm not going to let it change me. It doesn't do me any good to pray if I'm not going to listen to the response. It doesn't do me any good to ask if I'm not going to hear the answers. I'll ask you guys to stand. They're, they're going to sing. I, I, want us, I want us to just pray together. I truly believe with all my heart everybody in this place thinks the same way I do. I don't know. I want to be like Jesus. I truly do. I want to be a good example. I want to be a good son to my father. I want, I want to be a good steward to my master. I want to. I want to overcome failures. I want to overcome sin. I, I want to be better than temptation. I want to be stronger than my weaknesses. I want to be. I believe every one of us wants that. So we just ask our Father, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Help me to be like you. Help, help, help me to serve you wholly with everything in me. I want to ask you guys, if you would, real quick, bow your head. You're welcome to come pray, do whatever you want. I just want to know, is there anybody you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? It's the most important question of your life. You, you, can't, you can't serve Him until you've surrendered to Him. You can't call Him Father until you've surrendered your life and allowed Him to come in and be Lord of your life. If you've never been saved, you can change all that today. You don't have to be in here. You can be on live stream. It don't matter. YouTube works. I know there's some wicked stuff, but there's some good stuff on there right now. And the good stuff is Jesus Christ. It's up to you to say, Father, I am a sinner. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and save my soul in Jesus' name. You surrender your life to him. It's not lip service. It's heart service. It's not, Lord, I'm surrendering my lips, but I'm going back to living the same old way. It's, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you to change me today. I want to serve you. I, I want to be what we just talked about. I want to be a living example and I want my life to bring forth fruit that people can see Christ in me and Christ through me. Go ahead, guys.